Have you ever had to make a choice where literally you couldn't have both, you had to pick one or the other? Well, that's what's about to happen this morning. For one lucky person, I need a volunteer. <laughs> I need a volunteer. Right back there. What's your name? Yo, yeah, yeah, you. Cassie, come on up, Cassie. All right. Don't be, don't be shy. All right, Cassie, so here's the deal. You can come up right up there. You can up come up, there. up, yep, right yep. up here. Got We've it? Got, okay. No, oh, good day to wear day. heels. Great good day, day to wear great heels. Day. We've got two. <laughs> <laughs> We've got two boxes, okay? Um, I'm going to tell you why you should choose my box, which is this one, okay? Austin is going to lie to you and tell you why you should choose his box. Torin's the one lying. One of the boxes uh, has something of genuine value in it. Uh, the other one has nothing in it. It's uh, just pretty, but there's nothing at all. And, and I'm, I'm here to tell you that uh, I know because I'm the one who actually packed the boxes. No, he's not. Which one has You it. think he packed the boxes? Are you kidding me? And it's me? this one, and this I is why. I packed the boxes. Cassie, you should take that one. I got three reasons, Cassie, why you should not take this box and why you should take this box. Okay, the first reason is my name is Austin. I've been told... Hold on, let me finish. Let uh, me finish. Of, I'm talking I've about been pride told that today. my name is Austin, and Austin means trustworthy. Now, here's how trustworthy I am. I don't actually know if my name means trustworthy, and I'm willing to tell you that so you know you can trust that, me. That's the second reason, one. the second reason you should choose this box, he's old. The truth is, the truth is, he, he doesn't even know, he doesn't really know what you want. He, he, there might be a radio you, in here. yourself. There might be a radio. This is the box, I promise. No, no, no. The last reason, the third reason, he's wearing camouflage. He's wearing camouflage today. The only people that wear camouflage are people that are trying to hide something. All right. Okay? He is trying to hide the truth. You should choose this box. Now, does Austin sound trustworthy? I promise you, this is the one you want. You don't want that one. There's nothing in that one. I have mine. I have something of value in that one. Which one do you want? You have to choose one. Ah, uh, all right, yeah, go ahead and uh, open it up. Let's see. Yeah, I'm going to just pull that right off for you. Yes, you have chosen correctly. There are actually four gift cards in there to Madcap oh, and to Roots. Free coffee. Uh, would you like to see what you might have gotten if you chose the other one? <laughs> yeah, you want to see what it. you missed out on? Dun, 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 What's in there? Nothing. You chose well. Very good. Thank you, Cassie, so much for your time today. Moral of the story is don't trust Austin. Okay, let's pray. No, no, no. You can leave it up here. Oh, you're going to leave it? Yeah, okay, you can leave fine. it up here. If you have your Bibles today, open up to James chapter 4. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 10 this morning, James chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. James says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, 
but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you do ask God, you don't receive anything because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures, on yourself. Verse 6, you adulterous people. Dang, James. Don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think that scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us, but he gives us more grace? That is why scripture says God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. This is James' conversion moment. This is James, near the end of his letter, laying out the two sides, asking each of us to make a choice. Which side are you going to be on? Which side are you going to take? You can't have both. You can't be a friend of the world and a friend of God. Uh, both Options, both boxes, if you will, talk a good game. They both look nice from the outside. They both entice you and tell you that this is where life is found. But one of them is empty, and one of them is full of life. Or in our scenario, Madcap and Roots gift cards. James is laying out something for us today and asking us to choose. And he's telling us in no uncertain terms, in fact, with some pretty tough language, to be honest, that we all have a choice to make. And you can't have your cake and eat it too. Uh, doc, Dr. Uh, Martha Morkish, um, she's a New Testament scholar that I've been uh, using for a lot of my studies. We've been going through James uh, brilliant scholar, uh, works at Columbia Seminary down in South Carolina. Um, she helped me think through this passage a little bit. There's a lot going on in it. Uh, but she helped me understand it uh, really by uh, showing me the four questions that James is asking his original audience. And it's not just the four questions that I think James wants to ask his original audience. It's also the four questions that James wants to ask us today. So let me share with you those four questions, and we're going to kind of walk through them. Um, before I do that, though, I just want to say this, okay? The, the message today is, is uh, honestly, it's a fairly simple message. And uh, it's a message you've probably heard before, probably engaged with before. And what I find, personally, uh, is that on messages that I've kind of heard and engaged with before, it's easy for me to start thinking about other stuff, like, what's going on this afternoon? What am I going to eat for lunch? What kind of stuff do I got to do this afternoon? After I get home, uh, how bad will the bears beat the lions? All right. 
<laughs> easy, easy. I gave us a shout out. Come on, don't get me in too much trouble. But I do know that when we sometimes engage with a topic that we've heard maybe multiple times before, it's easy to kind of let our minds drift. And here's all I want to say to that. I'm simply going to ask you in this moment, if you're willing, to just take a second and say, God, I give you this next 20 minutes. I give you permission. You can speak. I'm not going to turn my brain off. I'm going to engage. Four questions that James basically asks his original audience that I think we need to engage with today. Number one, from what do we need to turn? Number two, to what do we need to turn? So from what to what? How, number three, do we need to turn? And number four, what will happen if we turn? What will happen if we turn? Number one question, from what do we need to turn? Friendship with the world is what we're supposed to be turning away from. This is actually what we see in verse 4. You adulterous people, you whores. It's what James literally says here. This is intense language. He's saying you were married to God. You said yes, but now you've been out flirting, sleeping around with the world. James is no joke sometimes. Sometimes I wonder, like, bro, like, what, what happened? <laughs> Who hurt you? You know, like, we need to work through some of this stuff. Uh, but I think James is probably one of those folks, that if you've ever entered, like, they, they're, they're, their bark in some ways is bigger than their bite. Doesn't mean James isn't willing to, 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 you know, put us in our place. He does. But he's also writing a letter. I think sometimes he's speaking in hyperbole because he wants to get our attention. He's trying to say, look, this, this everything in life hinges on this. You, you can't just blow by. You've got to pay attention. And so he uses some really strong language. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. You can't be a friend of God and a friend of the world. It doesn't work that way. I think we, we all want that. <laughs> I do. I'm the pastor. The peace is like, yeah, yeah, but can't I have my cake? And can't I be friends with God and friends with the world? And James tells us, God tells us, because these aren't just James' words, this is the word of God, reminds us, no, 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 that you can't have both. It's one or the other. From what do we need to turn friendship with the world? So what exactly is friendship? Uh, now, I know we kind of like, yeah, yeah, I get like friendship. I got friends. But when we start thinking about what does it mean to be a friend of the world, um, there's two folks that help gave me some helpful stuff, one a little bit less, but I still thought it was good for us to hear. It's uh, from a guy named uh, David Nystrom, Dr. Nystrom. He says this, he says, the world here is the forces and elements opposed to God. Super generic. <laughs> then he goes on to try to get it a little bit more precise. In fact, he says more precisely, but it's still kind of generic. Says the whole complex of human institutions, values, and traditions that knowingly or unwittingly are arrayed against God. So basically, all the systems of the world that tell us we're supposed to live one way when God's telling us to live a different way. When God says, this is how the world functions, and somebody else tells you, no, 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 that's not actually how it is. It's this way. That's the system of the world that we are not supposed to be friends with. Uh, Dr. Moore Keith, she shares it this way. She says, to be a friend means to share the same outlook, the same values, to be deeply united to the other. Ooh. 
Man, I can feel that at times. Same outlook, same values, to be deeply united to the other. She goes on to say the world represents the dynamic of competition and scarce resources, and friendship with this world produces conflict and destruction. If you felt anger or frustration or relief or celebration after this past Tuesday, that may be a sign that you are a little too engaged with the kingdoms of this world rather than the kingdom of God. Dr. Moore, help me see that what James is actually talking about in verses one through three is directly connected to what he says in verse four. She helped me understand this because she reminded me that God's ways are ways of abundance, not of scarcity. And everything that James talks about in those first three verses, because it's kind of like he, he gets a little intense. He's like, yo, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You ask for things, but you do it out of selfish motives so that you can spend it on yourself. What, what Dr. Moore helped me see is that what James is talking about, what God is saying is that God is a God of abundance, not of scarcity. And the world is all about scarcity. There's not enough. You, you, you got to get yours before somebody else does. Someone's climbing the ladder, you better grab them and pull them down because if they get there before you do, there won't be enough for you. And so the world kind of forces us into the scarcity mind. And we all, way too often, like, man, I'm, I'm not like preaching at you. I'm preaching to my own heart. That often feels the same way. Oh, uh, what about what they got? How come they got that promotion and I didn't? How come they, they got that accolade and I didn't? How come somebody uh, mentioned them and, and, and they didn't mention me? I did the same thing. There's a scarcity. Uh, Dr. Keith says, when we believe that we live in a world where we need to compete for resources and attention, we regard those who have more than we do as threats to our own well-being. If somebody gets something that you wanted but you didn't get it, how do you feel? If someone gets noticed for something similar to things that you've done but they didn't notice you, how, how do you respond? Um, I, I felt this way a little bit last week and, and maybe you have been experiencing this a little bit as we've walked through James. And I think it's good that we just acknowledge it, okay? You may be experiencing a little bit of challenge fatigue Okay. <laughs> um, challenge fatigue is something that I think we can experience when we show up and we kind of get our tails kicked and it feels like it's happening week after week after week. And so every week there's like this challenge, like, ah, oh, one more thing and I got to somehow do it. And I'm just like, man, I'm just tired. I keep seeing how short I fall. Okay. Challenge fatigue is real. And, and, I, and I was kind of feeling it a little bit uh, last week because I, I, I'm the one who, I, I got to preach this stuff. And I am not a huge fan of hypocrites, which means I got to actually preach to myself first because most of the time, uh, okay, vast majority of the time, I am not doing this stuff 
perfectly. Sometimes not, I'm not even doing it well. And maybe you've kind of felt that way too. And so this is something that I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, and I think maybe some of the Holy Spirit needs to say to you as well. When we feel challenge fatigue, it's often because we realize how far we are from where God desires us to be. And we feel like we've got to go from uh, zero to 100. I'm 48, man. I've been a pastor for over 25 years now. Sometimes I look at my life and I feel like, T, you should be way further down the road. And so I see these things come up and I'm like, man, God, I'm just like, I got to be like all the way. And so like one week, you're like, oh, I can like go there. And then like the next week I get hit again. I'm like, oh, I got to go all the way again. And another, and, and it feels like, oh, I, I don't think God wants you to go all the way. You don't have to go from zero to 100. I think God wants you to take the next small step towards him. He actually promises us in his word that when we draw near to him, he draws near to us. And so as we talk about this, the moving away from our friendship with the world towards friendship with God, that's an important thing that we need to pay attention to. Um, James is frustrated. He's calling it out. He's saying, you can't love both. You have to make a choice. This is kind of like our matrix moment in the book of James, right? Which pill? Take the blue pill, Neo, and you will fall back asleep and forget this ever. Take the red pill and, you know... Welcome to whatever he says, the rabbit hole or something. This is James saying, what are you going to do? Which pill are you going to take? Which box are you going to say yes to? Which thing are you going to become friends with? And it's a fair question. It's a real question. What do you want to give your life to? They're both saying that they have awesome things inside. They're both saying that they're beautiful. They're both saying you ought to go after it. There's people that will argue for both of them. One of them will leave you empty, though. One of them is where you're going to find life. This is James' call to converse. This is his come-to-Jesus moment. And that brings us to the second question. The first one, from what do we need to turn? And the second one is to what do we need to turn? And James says it's humility, properly placing God, ourselves, and others in our lives, okay? The proper placement of those things. Uh, if you grew up Baptisty like I did, okay, you probably heard the secret to joy is, does anybody know? Jesus, others, you, right? Joy, Jesus, others, you. You got to put yourself way at the very, very bottom, and like that's like, you know, where... Um, there's something to be said of that. It's not like terribly, awfully wrong, but uh, I think way too often uh, we can find ourselves kind of downplaying who we are. And that can actually lead to, to some, uh, just as much pride as thinking too much. Did you know that um, pride is self-obsession? That's how Jason Meyer describes it. Pride is self-obsession. It's a lie about reality. Verse six answers our question, to whom? Verse six, he says, uh, but he gives us more grace. That's why scripture says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Thinking about oneself too much or too little are the two sides of pride. I was talking to some uh, of the guys that I do a Bible study with 
this past Monday, and I, and I told him that. I was like, pride is not just thinking too highly of yourself. Pride is also thinking too low of yourself. Like, how is that possible? Like, like I know, like, the, being an arrogant jerk, like, that's pride. I get that, but how is the other side pride? That doesn't sound like pride. Well, when we understand that pride is actually simply thinking of ourselves too much, right, self-obsession, a lie about reality, you can actually be super prideful in that you're arrogant, and you can be super prideful in that you actually think of yourself as a doormat. Both of those are not reality and self-obsessed. I'm really good. I'm not good at all. Those are the two sides of the pride coin, and God is calling us to humility. Jesus actually said, blessed are the meek. They're the ones that are going to inherit the earth. Uh, I love this quote from C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis said, humility is not thinking less of ourselves, but thinking of ourselves less. So, how do you know if you have pride? God's giving us these two options. Love the world, love me. Be a friend of the world, be my friend. And he says the way that we're going to find out which one we're choosing has to do with our pride. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So we're going to take a pride quiz. You ready? I'm going to give you 10 questions, and I just want you to think about these, help you know if you've got pride. Number one, if you think you don't, you probably do. (laughs) Uh, Honestly, this was me. And sadly, this was me not that long ago. When I was in my late 30s, early 40s, like a decade, maybe a little less than a decade ago, I honestly, it sounds so crazy for me to say this out loud, I really didn't think I struggled with pride that much, which is just shocking to anybody who knows me even a little bit. But I really didn't, and here's why. Um, Most of the positions in ministry that I wanted, I had gotten, and I always knew where I came from. I knew I was a kid from Flint, graduated high school with a 2.5, actually a little less, all right? Uh, I never uh, was the guy that you would have, like, voted most likely to succeed when I was in high school. Anything that I got in ministry, uh, any ways that I saw fruit, I was always like, man, that, I didn't do that. Like, that's not me. It's not, I never thought it was because I was awesome. I thought it was because, like, God had done something, and God was continuing to do something, and I was super grateful. And so I'm like, well, see, I don't struggle with pride. Like, I know, like, I'm not pretending that I don't have any gifts, but I I was not trying to take a a whole lot of, like, you know, accolades for them saying, look, look, I'm the one doing it. No, I never thought that. So I was like, I don't really struggle with pride. Until the one time that I didn't get a position that I thought I was supposed to have. And all the things that I loved doing, that I was gifted at doing, that other people actually wanted me to do, that position was given to somebody else. And I had to step back and let them step forward. I had to let them do the things that I wanted to do. And all of a sudden, I realized there is a lot more pride than I ever thought living in my heart. And it should have been a no-duh moment for me, honestly, but it really was a, a kind of a shocking and painful revelation. And what I've realized is that uh, the issue of pride is actually something I'm going to have to wrestle with my entire life. I, I didn't just like get taught a lesson that all of a sudden I'm like, oh, oh, okay, I'm good now. Like I'm, you know, like I'm cool. No, God is continuing to reveal that, man, I got work to do here. And I'm going to continue to have to pay attention to it. I was good publicly. I was okay privately but inside, internally, I was ugly. 
Maybe you've experienced something like that as well. Number two, how entitled do you feel? Some of you are like, oh, not, no, I'm not entitled. I don't feel that way. Oh, really? How do you feel when somebody is driving the speed limit in the left lane? The speed limit, like the limit of what you're supposed to go. How do you feel when you don't get good service at a restaurant? Uh, Brenda and I had the privilege of taking a trip a couple weeks ago to Italy. It was uh, something that we had been um, talking about and, and, and planning for like a decade. And uh, we had one day when we were there that we said, we're going to have a really nice meal. Like, we're going to have this one time, uh, we're going to splurge, it's going to be a, a nice meal. And so we had uh, found somebody that, that lived uh, there, and, and uh, they gave us a recommendation. And so we, we, uh, we, we made reservations, and we showed up, and we're so excited. We, it was like, you know, kind of swanky little joint, and it like opened up out into the street, and people walking by, and you're like, oh, this is cool. So, so the raider came, uh, and uh, we, we ordered our appetizer and our main course at the same time. And uh, the appetizer came out, and uh, that was great. And then we saw some other people who had also made reservations after us came in and got seated, and they ordered, and they got their appetizers, and, and, and then they got their main course, and then they got their dessert, and, and then they got their check, and then they paid and actually left before our main course had even showed up yet. Guess who was feeling pretty entitled? I was nice enough to the guy, but I kept being like, ah, oh, do you know like when the meal's coming? Did you forget to actually put it in? Because I'm pretty sure that's what happened. Entitlement is a sign of pride. And I have more than I'm often willing to acknowledge or admit. Number three, are you a people pleaser? That's not pride. Heck yeah, it is. Number four, are you rebellious? Do you have a hard time following rules? Is it hard for you to submit to others? Or do you like to do it your way? Number, uh, number five, do you accept constructive criticism well from others? I thought I was pretty good at this. And then a couple years ago, uh, I had one of my first annual reviews here at church. And I got some constructive criticism. And you know what? I didn't do that great with it. And this was not mean criticism. This was constructive criticism from people who actually genuinely loved me genuinely wanted me to be better so that I could actually be a better pastor for you. Pride. God continuing to reveal. How do you do with constructive criticism? Number six, are you stubborn? <laughs> Number seven, do you lose well? Is it hard to admit you were wrong? Number eight, do you have a hard time hanging out with people you think are unpopular? Number nine, do you have a hard time asking others for help? Or do you think that you just need to do it all yourself? You can figure it out. You don't need somebody else. Number 10, do you have a fear of not being in control? Just judging by the faces I see all around the room, pride may be an issue for us to pay attention to. And James actually tells us that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. That one of the ways we can tell whether or not we are living 
as a friend to the world or a friend to God is how we engage with humility. Which brings us to the third question. How do we turn? We actually find this in verses 7 through 9. Just listen to it and listen to all of the uh, um, kind of pointed words that James uses. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Do you see all the words that James is saying? What James is describing for us is what a repentant person looks like. Do you guys know the word repent literally just means to turn? Just to, to turn. We actually do something like this as a part of our baptism. Uh, it's actually kind of an ancient tradition, but if you've ever seen us do baptism, one of the questions that we ask someone when they're sitting in the baptismal is we say, do you renounce Satan and the ways of this world to follow Christ and him alone? Uh, it's actually an ancient tradition. Uh, something that they did... Uh, hundreds and hundreds of years ago. And uh, we don't do this, but I think it's actually kind of cool. Um, in, in the eastern uh, side of the church, uh, what they would do is they would actually have the person stand and face west while they ask them those questions. And then when they said yes, that they would renounce Satan in the ways of this world and follow Christ to him alone, then they would turn to the east, which is where the sun rises, resurrection. As a very public and physical way, of moving from here to here. What James is saying in all these words, submit and draw near and purify, and he's talking about someone who's willing to say, I was here, but I'm going to turn here. I was a friend of the world, but now I'm going to be a friend of God. Which brings us to the very last question. What will happen if we turn? God will lift us up. This is what verse 10 tells us. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. We can't be friends with the world and with God. It's one or the other. The world says that there isn't enough. God says that we lack nothing. The world says that you have to do it yourself or you'll never get what you want. God says you have to let me do it for you or you'll never get what you want. The world says it's a survival of the strongest. God says the meek inherit the earth. And so as we close, there are two applications today. For some of us sitting in this room right now, you may have grown up around church. You may even go to a Christian high school or a Christian college. You may have been away from your faith for quite a while, and you're here now. And God is actually asking you to make a choice today. whose friend will you be? You've maybe heard about Jesus your whole life. You've maybe even been around the church so much that the idea of acknowledging or saying that you've maybe never actually really given your life to Jesus would be such a difficult step to take because everybody around you just assumes that you have that you may be struggling with pride. But God this morning is saying, I want you to give your life to Jesus. Today's the day I don't know what you've been wrestling with, struggling with, don't know where you've been, but God is saying, look, we all have a choice to make. And if you've never asked Jesus to come in and be your Lord and Savior, if you've never invited him to take over your life, to have all of it, 
today is the day for you. And so right now, I'm just going to pray a prayer. And I'd just like everybody, if you would, just for privacy's sake, would you just close your eyes and bow your heads? And if that's you today, I'm going to pray, and you can just pray something similar along with it. God, I need you. Today, I want to give my life to you. I believe in Jesus. I believe in his death and his resurrection. I give you permission to come into my life and to take over. Forgive me. I know I haven't been perfect. I need your forgiveness. Help me to live wholeheartedly after you. Today is the day that I say yes. If you prayed something similar to that this morning, with just everybody with their eyes closed and their heads bowed, I just want to know because I want to be able to pray for you. If you would just raise your hand, just you don't have to go real high, just so I can see it. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Is there anyone else? Yes, I see that. Yep. Anybody else? Amen. Yep. Father God, you see not just the hands but the hearts of those individuals. Father God, we know that life is found in you. And God, we can't have our cake and eat it too. We can't be a friend of the world and a friend of yours. And so God, those individuals today just said yes to you, Jesus. And all of heaven is rejoicing and we rejoice here along with them, Father. And we just say thank you. Jesus, let us continue to choose you, to choose your ways, your kingdom. Pray it in Jesus' name. All right, you can open up your eyes now because um, for everybody, whether you just, the five of you that just said yes to Jesus today or if uh, anybody else that's in here, um, there's, there's another application. Um, <laughs> the, the application is to invite you to pray what I think is probably the scariest prayer uh, any person can do. But I think the application is this, and it is to pray this simple prayer, God, I give you permission to humble me. This is not a prayer to be trifled with. I'm not even playing. Do not pray this prayer unless you are really, truly, genuinely willing to allow God to do what he needs to do. If you pray that prayer, I promise you, you are going to experience pain. The lessening of our pride is always a very painful experience. But I promise you, if you pray that prayer, you will also not only experience pain, but you will begin to experience prosperity and power and peace in a way that you never have before. Why? Because God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Those who humble themselves before the Lord, God will lift them up. And as much as this one box tells you that, no, 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 this is where you're gonna find it. This is what's gonna lift you up. This is what's gonna give you. It's only found here. It's only found here. And friends, I'm telling you, I wanna stink and be a part of a church that is just filled with humble people. Because God can use humble people. God will change this world through humble people. And friends, Grand Rapids stinking needs to be changed. It does. There's so much fear and anxiety, so much pride, so much hurt and pain. 
God wants to heal it, but he, he's not going to do it with our pride. He's going to do it with our humility when we humble ourselves, when we give him permission. And I'm not telling you to pray a prayer that I'm not willing to pray myself. I'm praying it too, and I need it. I want it. I'm scared, and I'm not playing. <laughs> I'm a little nervous. It's actually a prayer I've been praying for about the last six or seven months. And God's been faithful to answer the prayer. And that always been fun. But I'm way more interested in experiencing the humility in God's lifting than what I can create on my own. And I want that for you too. I want to be a part of a church that's going to see that happen. So if you're willing to pray that prayer, this is your moment. Challenge by choice. Don't do it if you don't want what's coming. But if you'll do that, I think that God will not just grow you, but he will begin to use you and us to see his kingdom come. Father God, we give you permission. I, I give you permission. We don't want this to be about us. We want this to be about you. So do what's necessary to bring us to a place of humility because we know it's there that you will lift us up. It's in our weakness that you are powerful. So do what only you can do. In Jesus' name.